Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to church. Thanks again for joining us around the city, around the country, or even around the world. I love, love, love it that you are here. I want to give you several ways to connect. Uh, I'm Pastor Matt. I would love to meet you, but obviously now uh, we can't meet under the same roof. And so I want to give you several ways that we can connect with one another, where I can meet you, you can meet me, and we can pray together. Uh, One of those ways is on our website, right after my message, if you'll click at the top left, the button that says new here, uh, you'll see an option to meet the pastor. I'm actually going to be out in the lobby, and so you and I can meet in the lobby uh, on a conference call. I'd love for you to click there and for us to meet face-to-face and, of course, again, in person uh, when all of this is over. I also want to refer you to our weekly email. There's, it's one of the best ways for me to stay in contact with you. Uh, you can sign up for our weekly email at the bottom of our website, biblecenterchurch.com. All the way you see pastors, all church email. We call that our pace. I'd love for you to click there and sign up. And usually it's about midweek. You get that each week from me. Keeps you up to date with what's happening at the church. And then next Sunday, the last thing I want to mention is next Sunday is Easter Sunday. And and in my 40 years on earth, this will be the first time I've ever done Easter online, maybe for many of you. Uh, But I look forward to you to to join us, to be here together, right here, whether you be on TV, whether you be online. Uh, I would love to be with you and for us to worship the Lord together as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There'll be something for the entire family. You will not want to miss it. I love what I'm hearing. I'm hearing uh, stories of people loving their neighbors and loving one another all around our city. And so these certainly aren't ideal circumstances. And I realize that many of you are going through a very, very hard time. Uh, But I want you to know I'm praying for you. Uh, Your pastors are praying for you. We love you. And with God's help, uh, we will get through this together. You know, since we've had an eight-year-old boy in the house, now that we have an eight-year-old son, Sarah and I are learning again what it means for a little kid to wake up in the middle of the night scared. Now, our two older girls, our 17-year-old and our 14-year-old, of course, don't do this anymore. But but whenever they were little, they would scare us to death. They would come to the edge of our bed while we were sleeping, maybe in the middle of the night, and they would lean over our beds, lean over our faces, and they would peck us right on the forehead. Now, that sounds really, really cute, right? When you think about kids doing that with their doll babies in their hand, but it's not cute if you're the parent in the bed. I mean, you, you wake up and you think Hannibal Lecter's in the house or, or you think that the Scranton Strangler has arrived. You think that an ax murderer is there. And then after a couple seconds, you collect yourself and you re- realize that these are just our children and they've had a bad dream and want to crawl in bed with you. Now, thankfully, our son doesn't do that. He just crawls in bed without asking. Uh, I'm a deep sleeper. If my wife's in a deep sleep, he'll just crawl into bed. In the morning, we wake up. And there's three people in the bed. Sometimes we wake up and there's three people and two dogs in the bed. Uh, But kids get scared of the dark. And in safe homes and in safe environments, it's a beautiful thing uh, when a child can run to his parents and find safety in the middle of the night. But you know, I was thinking this week, where do we run? 
as adults or as older students, uh, whose bed, where do we go when we're scared of what's in the dark? It's no longer shadows and monsters, but no doubt I'm speaking to someone and you've got some very real fears, not only in the dark, uh, but also in the light. Maybe you're scared, maybe you're fearful of things like loneliness and broken dreams and broken promises, unmet expectations and nagging questions that just seem to chip away at your mind late into the night. Questions like this, why am I losing my job? Why am I receiving a salary cut? Why am I getting sick? Why am I watching a loved one get sick or even a loved one pass away? Uh, why am I forced to look for a second job? Why is my retirement dwindling away? Why am I disabled? Why am I struggling to pay my rent? Why am I so anxious? Why am I so depressed? Uh, why do my addictions continually come back? Where do we go as adults when we're afraid? Well, I am so glad to, to tell you today that the Bible has the answers. In the next few minutes, we're going to look at a letter. We're going to look at something that was inspired by God and, and through the eyes of one of Jesus's close followers, Peter. Peter tells his apprentice, John Mark, to write his thoughts down. And that comes to us now in the form of the gospel of Mark. If you're familiar with the Bible, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at the gospel of Mark, and we're going to see what discovery that they made, that Peter made, that Mark made, that can also bring us comfort and help today. Whenever I speak, I always like to give you the layout right up front so you know what to expect. Today's message is very, very simple. I'm going to tell you one thing that the writer wants you to know and then why he wants you to know it. And then I'm gonna tell you one thing that the writer wants you to do and why he wants you to do it. So one thing he wants you to know and why and one thing he wants you to do and why. So what's the big idea? What's the main point we wanna get across today? It's simply this, Jesus is worth following even when we're afraid. Jesus is worth following even when we're afraid. Now the main emphasis in the gospel of Mark is to present and defend Jesus's universal call to discipleship. In other words, Mark spends 16 chapters telling the early church and every word being inspired by God. He's also telling us not to quit, not to give up, but to keep going, keep spreading the gospel, keep living for Jesus, even during hard times. You know, to think through the hard times that the early church endured um, really makes what we're going through today seem like a picnic. And I realize that many of you are going through some very, very difficult times, but in the first century to be a Christian, it cost a lot more than it does today. It could cost you your job. It could cost you your reputation. It could cost you your political office. Your family could disown you if you became a Jesus follower. And eventually it even cost the early church their lives. And this is why Mark addresses fear throughout his letter. Through his entire letter, Mark uh, reminds people not to be afraid. At least 12 times, if not more, Mark mentions fear or someone being afraid. And he's reminding the early church and he's reminding us not to be scared, not to be confused, 
not to be anxious, not to quit. Jesus is worth following even when we're afraid. Now, why does Mark want us to know that? Why does Peter want us to know that? Well, there's two reasons. The first reason is because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. In Mark chapter nine and verse one, we see the beginning of a true story, something that happened in the life of Jesus and the disciples. And he, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, some are standing here who will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. What does Jesus mean here by the kingdom of God? Well, he's obviously not talking about a physical kingdom and a physical throne where Jesus sits on a real throne in flesh and blood in the new Jerusalem. He can't be talking about a physical kingdom because he said that the disciples who were hearing this, Peter, James, and John are their names. He said that they would see the kingdom of God come before they died. And Peter, James, and John are all dead. So he's not obviously not talking about a physical kingdom because that has not yet come. That's yet in the future. You can read about it at the end of the book of Revelation. But when Jesus said the kingdom of God has come, in some ways he was referring to himself. When the king has come, Jesus, the kingdom has come to some degree. Well, I like to say it this way, that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God. He, he kicked it off. He started the kingdom. We see the kingdom beginning to take shape as Jesus died on the cross for our sins, as he was buried and as he rose again the third day. 40 days later, Jesus ascended back into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit to live within us, to found, to start the church. And so the kingdom again was inaugurated in all of that. In some way, we, the church, live in this aspect of the kingdom of God. It's not fully realized yet until we see it at the end of time, but it is experienced in Jesus Christ, our King. And so he's talking about the, the idea of following the King. The King has come, therefore the kingdom has come. And then notice verse two. In verse two, it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James and John with him and led him up to a high mountain. Let's stop there for just a minute. The high mountain. You can read all about this in Matthew chapter 17 and Luke chapter nine, and also here in Mark chapter nine. Uh, but the high mountain, scholars are pretty sure that this is the mountain or the mountains of Hermon. Uh, sometimes here in the South, we call it Mount Hermon. Uh, Mount Hermon is most likely the place where this transpired. I'm gonna show you a picture of Mount Hermon and we'll come back to that verse in a moment. Now the peak of Mount Hermon is over 9,000 feet in elevation. So it's not likely that Jesus took his disciples to the peak because they would have needed some Alpine climbing gear and some Arctic uh, clothing. So it's not likely that he went to the very top, but the mountains of Hermon take up about 200 square miles. And as you look at this passage in all three gospels where it's mentioned, most believe that it happened just on the outskirts of Caesarea Philippi, a little town at the base of the mountains of Hermon. If you go back in a moment to Genesis, excuse me, to Mark chapter nine, look with me back in Mark chapter nine and verse two. Notice what happened. It said, at that mountain, they were all alone 
there he was transfigured before them. Transfigured before them. Now, what does that mean? The idea of transfigured means that Jesus's physical appearance changed to reflect his heavenly glory. The word is literally that he experienced metamorphosis. Jesus's nature didn't change, but his appearance changed. Jesus had possessed essential glory from all eternity, according to John chapter 17 and verse 5, but that glory emerged from Jesus, became visible through the God-man, Jesus Christ, like it had never done before. And so the disciples are getting a glimpse of this glory. Here's a picture. This is an artist's rendition of about four or 500 years ago of the transfiguration of Jesus. Probably not accurate from the standpoint that uh, Jesus was Middle Eastern. Uh, Jesus wasn't uh, uh, an Eastern or Western European, uh, but still you get the idea. The transfiguration, the glory emanating, not reflecting off of Jesus, but coming from Jesus because he is God. Now, Mark chapter nine and verse three says this, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Coupled with the word transfigured in verse two, we get a better understanding of this light. Again, it wasn't reflecting off of Jesus, but was coming through Jesus. And his, even his clothes were radiating the glory of God. If you have time this week, you want to read uh, Daniel chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 20. All of these passages give us a beautiful glimpse of Jesus in all of his glory. And so the disciples, here they are on, on that mountain of transfiguration and they're, they're, they're hiding their eyes. It's so bright. It was so bright that it even blinded the apostle Paul for a time, uh, according to the book of Acts. And they're seeing Jesus radiating the glory of God. Notice verse four. Verse four says, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now let's, let's be uh, transparent as transparent as I can be, sometimes the Bible is just downright spooky. Or maybe I should say it this way. Sometimes the Bible is hard to understand. Here you have Elijah and Moses, most likely their spirit. Hebrews 12, 23 talks about the spirits of the righteous being with God in heaven. And so you have the spirit of Elijah and Moses being with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It reminds me of that scene in The Return of the Jedi when Anakin and Yoda and Obi-Wan Kenobi are at the very end of the movie, their ghosts, their spirits are there watching. And that's what comes to my mind. Maybe something similar comes to your mind. But why Elijah and Moses? I mean, I'm okay with the story up until now. It makes sense. But why Elijah and Moses? I'm gonna quickly share this. This is too cool not to, uh, not to mention. And so if you're taking notes, you're, you can, you're welcome to, to write some of this down. We'll also have it on our social media this week. But there's two big reasons why Elijah and Moses were there. The first reason is because it symbolizes, it shows us that Jesus fulfilled all the law and the prophets, Matthew 5, 17. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, I came to fulfill, not to abolish, 
but to fulfill all the law and the prophets. In other words, everything in the Old Testament, every tradition, every sacrifice, every prophecy in some way or another points to Jesus. Jesus is what the Bible is all about. Now, thankfully, you've got the blessing of the church. You've got the blessing of Israel. You've got multiple blessings, but the Bible isn't about us. The Bible is about Jesus. And so you've got the premier prophet, Elijah, the author of the law by the Holy Spirit, Moses. And so their spirits come to converse with Jesus on the mountain. It would have been an an amazing, majestic sight. But the second reason Elijah and Moses were there, uh, scholars believe is because these are the only two men who met with God, who spoke with God out of a cloud on Mount Sinai. Sometimes the Bible refers to Mount Sinai as Mount Horeb. So you can read all about it, particularly Moses in Exodus 24 and Elijah in 1 Kings 19. So both of them had this experience on Mount Sinai that was very similar to the experience that Jesus is having uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration with his father. And so what Mark is trying to show us is this, Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the new Sinai. Jesus is the better Elijah. Jesus isn't leading his people from Egypt to a physical promised land, but Jesus is leading his people from sin into eternal salvation. Now, there are a number of similarities between particularly Moses's experience on the mountain with God and Jesus's experience on the Mount of Transfiguration with his father. I want to list a few of those experiences, similarities with, to you. One, both events took place on a mountain. That's pretty easy. Exodus chapter 24, verses 12 through 15. Secondly, both are mentioned as, as happening after six days on the seventh day. It happened here in this passage, Matthew 17, Luke chapter 9, also in Exodus 24, verses 15 and 16. Thirdly, I didn't know this until this week. The third similarity, did you know that Moses took three people on the mountain with him, just like Jesus took three people on the mountain with him? You can read about it in Exodus chapter 24, verses one through nine. Moses actually had 70 that he left behind down at a lower part in the mountain. And Jesus also had 70, the 70 that he trained and he sent out two by two. So there's a number of similarities that you see Jesus being like Moses, only the better Moses. A fourth similarity, they both shone uh, with the glory of God. They shined with the glory of God. Moses reflected it, Jesus emanated it. Fifth, they both experienced a fearful response by their disciples. According to verse six of Mark nine, the disciples, particularly Peter, freaked out. And according to Exodus chapter 34 and verse 30, Moses's disciples freaked out. Another similarity is that they both heard an overshadowing voice come from a cloud. Exodus chapter 24 and verse 16, Exodus chapter 40 and verse 35. And another one I didn't know until this week, that when both Moses and Jesus came down from the mountain, they both experienced a faithless generation. Moses experienced it in Exodus 20 
Exodus 24, again in Exodus 32, and in Exodus 34. And Jesus, Jesus experienced it in Mark chapter 9 and verse 19. Jesus uses literally the same words of Moses in Mark 19, 9, when he said, I've come off the mountain to a faithless generation. So this is showing us that Jesus is leading us not to a promised land, but to a promised salvation. He is the new Exodus. Now, verses five and six, notice what Peter says to Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say because they were so frightened. Why did Peter say this? What does this mean to us? Well, the first reason Peter said it is because he just needed something to say. Maybe you have a friend or a family member that anytime they're nervous, they feel like they just have to have something to say, right? That was Peter. He he had just been rebuked by Jesus in Mark chapter eight. And now here he is, Mark chapter nine, he's already just saying something. Another reason he could have said this is because it was very customary. It was customary for the Jews to be hospitable to guests in their culture. And, And it's still that way today. It's a beautiful thing. But also to be a good Jew meant that anytime you had an experience with God or an angel of God, you would do like Moses did. You would do like Abraham did, and you would build a temple or a tabernacle for God. And so maybe that's what he had in mind. And one last thing that Peter might have had in mind was this feast, this Jewish feast that was taking place at the moment. Scholars believe that this happened during the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, Uh, where they would actually go out into the wilderness and make tents. They would make uh, little camps to remember and celebrate their time in the wilderness wandering and God bringing them out. And so maybe that's what Peter had in mind. But either way, let's notice what happened in verse seven. Here's Jesus conversing with God the Father. Peter speaks up and notice what God the Father does to Peter. The way the text is written, it almost seems like he interrupts him. Jesus interrupted Peter. God the Father interrupted Peter. They knew Peter. And so you can picture as the Father interrupts Peter in verse 7, then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Listen to him. A very similar experience to Moses and Elijah One of the things that stood out to me this week while reading through this passage and studying for this message was that notice what God the Father pointed to for us to particularly pay attention to as we seek to follow Jesus. Now, we're gonna pay attention to Jesus's good works. Jesus did a lot of good works over and over again. He he understood the importance of loving the whole person, not just their spirit or their soul, but also their body. We believe that's an extension of the great commission to do everything Jesus told us to do, which includes loving our neighbor. But it stuck out to me this week, God the Father didn't tell us to look at all of Jesus's good works, but instead he told us to pay attention to Jesus's good words. In other words, the heart of discipleship is learning the words of Jesus and putting them into practice in everyday life. We are going to pay attention 
to the words of Jesus, because it's through the words of Jesus that we ourselves can be transformed. This, this was a change in perspective for Peter, James, and John. And I hope it's a change in perspective for us as well. You see, Jesus is worth following even when we're afraid. You say, why, Matt? Why is he worth following? Well, because he is God. He is God. So why else is Jesus worth following even when we're afraid? Well, the second reason we see is because he gives grace. Jesus gives grace. Notice verse eight of Mark chapter nine. Verse eight says, suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. Except Jesus. This is the part of the movie where the drum roll stops. This is the part of the movie where the, the music falls silent. This is the, this is the part where, that we're experiencing today where life seems to stand still. This verse stuck out thinking that, and I pray this is what we experience through this corona pandemic and, and, and through, this, through this virus, through this global panic uh, when it comes to finances and health and so on, that we would see Jesus through it all. Our malls are closed. Our concerts are closed. Our, our, many of our stores are closed. Our sports have shut down. And all these things have their place. But oh to God that through this crisis, we would see that Jesus is still here and he's still worth following. What kind of grace does Jesus give? Well, he gives saving grace. Look with me in verse 11. Verse 11, they asked him, why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Now, this question seems a bit strange to us. They're coming down off the mountain. They're winding their way down the hill. And they, they've just seen Elijah up there with Moses and Jesus. And so they asked Jesus, don't the scriptures say that when Elijah comes, the kingdom is going to be started? Because the scriptures do say that. Uh, Malachi chapter three and verse one, Malachi chapter four, the first half of the chapter talks about Elijah coming to kick off the kingdom. And what Jesus does is he reminds them in very simple terms that Elijah has already come. Now he was just on the mountain, his spirit was on the mountain, but earlier in Matthew and in Luke, Jesus actually says that John the Baptist is the new Elijah. John the Baptist is an even better Elijah. He was the one who came preparing the way of Jesus. And so Jesus tells them in the next couple of verses, look back to what happened to John the Baptist because that's about to happen to me. Mark chapter nine and verse 12, Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the son of man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. John the Baptist had been killed. And what Jesus is saying is, guys, I'm going to start the kingdom. I'm going to inaugurate the kingdom. But on my first coming, it's going to happen by me dying, being buried and rising from the grave. Jesus 
uses the mountain of transfiguration to point them to another mountain, the mountain of Calvary. Calvary's mountain, the place where he died on the cross. Now think with me for a moment. All the similarities between the mountain of transfiguration and the mountain of Calvary where Jesus died on the cross. Think with me for a moment. Both involve Jesus standing between two sinners. In the Mount of Transfiguration, it was Elijah and Moses. But at Calvary, it was two thieves. Number two, both were on a mountain. One involved great glory, but the other involved great shame. So there's some opposites. One involves shining clothes, but the other involved nakedness, no clothes. One involved Jesus being enraptured with bright light. The other involved Jesus being surrounded with total darkness. One involved God, the Father's confession, but at the cross, it involved a Roman soldier's confession. Think of what Jesus did, what he endured. He endured death that we might have life. That's what the Bible calls good news. This is the the good news, the gospel story, the, the news that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day to give us new life. Jesus offers that salvation. And the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Maybe you're there in your living room. Maybe you're there in your kitchen. Maybe you're wondering, you say, Pastor Matt, I don't really know if I have enough faith to believe. Listen, I I appreciate your honesty, but that's why I love Luke chapter nine. In the middle or towards the end of Luke chapter nine, you have this man whose son is sick. And Jesus asks him, he says, do you believe that I can heal your son? And Jesus, and the man looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. In other words, he's saying, I got a little faith, but I don't have all the faith. And I love how Jesus still honors his faith. Jesus still recognizes his faith. He even praises him for his faith. Maybe you're here and you say, you're watching and you say, Pastor Matt, I I believe, but I still have some questions. I believe, but I'm not really quite sure about history. I believe, but I'm not really quite sure what to make of all that's in the Bible. The good news is you don't have to know understand or even fully believe everything in the Bible. You've just got to believe the gospel. And today, if you will call on the name of the Lord to save you, whoever comes to him, he says, he will in no wise cast out. You say, but Matt, I'm too bad. I've done too many bad things to be saved. I love what the prophet says, Isaiah, he writes this, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. There is nothing you have ever done or ever will do that's beyond the grace of God. And Jesus spent these three years trying to get the disciples to understand what grace looks like. And they still don't get it until after he dies, is buried and rises again. I pray today that you'll get it. I pray today that God will open your heart And you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ who offers you forgiveness, who offers you grace because of what he did on the cross. Well, Jesus not only offers saving grace, but finally, 
Jesus offers transforming grace. After we put our faith in Jesus, that grace, that assistance continues to transform us. And there are two places in the New Testament where the idea of transformation is applied to the Christian life. In other words, the Christian life or the gospel doesn't end the moment we become Christians, but in some ways for us, it just begins. And we live our lives being transformed day by day by the grace of God. Are Christians perfect? No way. But Christians are being changed. I love what he says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you will be able to test and approve what, what is God's will, his good and pleasing, pleasing perfect will. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. He's actually referring to the Bible in, the, in that passage. As we contemplate the Lord's glory in the Bible, we are transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Who is the Spirit? What does God want you to do? What are we to do with all of this? It's very, very simple. Very, very simple. Follow Jesus even when you're afraid. Keep following Jesus. Follow Jesus even when you're afraid. Right now you're going through some difficult valleys. Keep loving God. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Keep, keep honoring the Lord. Keep worshiping with us online. Keep, keep singing what you sing. Spending time with God. Meditating on his word. Keep loving God. Resisting sin. Resisting temptation. Keep loving God. Also, keep loving other Christians. Keep loving each other. That's how we know we're his disciples. If we have love one for another, don't quit just because you're scared. Don't stop just because you're anxious. Don't, the grace of God didn't end the moment quarantine began. The grace of God continues. You can still love other believers and you can continue loving your neighbor. You know, I wonder today how the, how the Spirit of God might be speaking to you. What is he inviting you to do? What neighbor is he inviting you to call? What good work do you know he's been pulling at your heart to do for the last couple weeks and you just haven't given in? Whatever that is, follow Jesus even when you're afraid. Why can we do that? Why can we follow Jesus even when we're afraid? Well, it's very, very simple because Jesus is God and Jesus gives grace. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life and Jesus offers you grace to live for him every day, no matter how things might turn out in the world. I'd like to end this morning by praying a prayer for you. Right there where you sit, I, I wanna pray for you and ask the Lord to help you see more of his glory, the glory of God and the glory of his grace. Let me pray. God, thank you so much. Thank you for your good grace that you give your people. I pray for the person who's far from you. And God, today you would draw them to yourself and that they will believe the gospel. And then Lord, I pray for Christians that you would help them to find comfort, help them to find peace, help us to take care of one another through this. And God, help us to know that you give grace even when we're afraid. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. 
Amen. Before you go, I want to show you a couple of things for you to study. Uh, we have some verses. They're in the notes on the bulletin. They're also, I believe, on the app. Here's a deeper study set of notes. If you'd like to study more of what the Gospel of Mark says about fear and not being afraid, here at least, here's 12 passages that you can study this week and see why, see what, why Mark, why Peter was so, uh, so intent on helping his people not be afraid. The last thing is I want to invite you to join me in the lobby right now. I'm going to walk out to the lobby. I'm going to open my computer. I would love to meet you. Back on the website, you can click on new here. If you click on new here, there's a link for you to go live with me in a video chat. I'd love to meet you, pray with you, answer any questions that I can answer. God bless you. Have a great week. Once again, Thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.